आज की ताजा खबर बेंगलुरु में रहने वाले लू और अमेरिका में रहने वाले सेट आपसे कुछ बात करना चाहते हैं संगीतकार राजेश के साथ आपका स्वागत है Alright, what's going on, people? I'm Lou, and I'm Sid, and we are Lou Sid. So, hello, everyone. I think our last episode we had a great conversation with a person who had like 17 years of career expre- uh, career experience across different domains, and I think over the past few months I, I was very involved in internship search, and after that I'm like, okay, I need to take a break and explore whatever I wanted to do. and one bug that i caught was web3 crypto and then i started joining all these discord communities and one interesting discord community was web3 pms a random insert plug <laughs> about web3 pms and that's where i found this uh, very interesting person uh, his name is brandon and uh, i had a coffee chat with him and it was a really interesting conversation i thought okay we need to have him on our podcast a bit about brandon uh, he's a hail mba graduate and before that he worked at companies like intel and epic as a analyst and uh, late uh, recently he was working at amazon as a senior pm and currently he's working in a web3 company called fastbreak labs and we really want to talk about that in this podcast so hi brandon how are you doing Hey, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I think let's get started. And like I think the main fundamental question Brandon is what is web3 and what is crypto? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a very broad question. Um well, it's an interesting kind of like evolution, so I guess yeah, like web3 it is more or less crypto. I think it's sort of like gone from crypto into web3, kind of like a rebranding and sort of a like increasing of scope. um so like when i think of crypto i think a lot of kind of like the tokens um like say bitcoin ethereum um these these are like tokens people are like comfort are uh, like very comfortable trading on say like coinbase um or like maybe robinhood perhaps um web3 i think encompasses almost everything else um in addition to crypto that is sort of related to this set of technologies so like the infrastructure layer as well um like alchemy is one that's sort of like the AWS of blockchains where um they like run nodes that these uh blockchain applications run on. Additionally, there are things like, you know, NFTs, that's more like in my wheelhouse now, as well as um say like DAO tooling, which is mm-hmm. more like yeah, like decentralized autonomous organizations. Um but there's like a lot of different things. I would say I'm not as familiar with everything that's contained in web3. There's also like decentralized identities. There's so much now that is sort of like lumped into web3. Um it's been a very successful rebrand uh, to be honest. Right. Uh, Lou, do you have any thoughts about this? Well, I mean, um, I just heard it all, and I still can't wrap my head around it. Okay, I'll just be very honest with you guys. But um, well, before I really get into this topic, I just want to know your transition into Web three, and uh, you know, you were you were a data analyst, and then you went to Yale, and then you became a product manager, and now you're entering Web three as a product manager. So, how's your journey been like? Um, what led you? through all of it and what led you here finally yeah so i'd say it was a you know kind of a i don't know like none of this was like certain or like planned out uh, so like to be honest like in high school i um like i always was in like sort of like the advanced group of students but like i didn't really formally have plans to go to college until i was like a senior um and by then i would say it was like too late i went to a great school i went to university of washington in seattle but um i didn't really ever have like the like the idea of going to say an ivy league was not something that i had ever thought about um my first roles kind of like lucked into working in the tech space i had always kind of figured that i would be an engineer mostly because i just kind of knew generally that engineers uh you know they they make reasonable salaries that's sort of like what brought me to that space <laughs> like a very practical you know i yeah and um yeah my first role was at epic systems So was working it was an interesting mix of like technical problem solving with um the analysts at these hospitals that used our um health record software and um like relationship management um so that I thought was really nice and that like it kind of gave me um experience troubleshooting technical things in software but also building relationships and kind of managing expectations 
um, and like working within a product. Um, I sort of continued that work at Epic or at, at Intel, I mean, where I did that, but for like a lot of different systems and a lot of different like business problems, different areas. But I think the whole like common thread through that was that like I just didn't really find the work all that interesting. And it was mostly just to be practical. And uh, I think 24, 25, like I was just feeling very like restless. And that's when I found Bitcoin and Ethereum um, in like the early days of 2017, uh, before like the bubble happened. And I think it's like very common for people to say it's like you come here for the money, but then you stay for like the vision and the technology. Um, mm-hmm. When the bubble mm-hmm. popped, you know, like m- me and my friends were just like, wow, this is so cool. Like we need to be a part of this. But um, there wasn't really like a clear path. And that's really why I went to get my MBA. And I figured that I would eventually come into the space once it was a little more developed, once they needed more product people that needed like business and like other things besides just developer uh, talent. Um, and that's sort of how I ended up here. Um, although I did, I did take a brief stint at Amazon as a product manager to, you know, kind of get some of that product experience. What exactly excited you about Bitcoin and Ethereum and the entire space? Yeah, so this has evolved over time to, um, I think initially, so like I studied industrial engineering as an undergrad. And a lot of it's, you know, about like process improvement, um, like analyzing step by step how systems work and uh, where their efficiencies can be gained. Um, so like Bitcoin was really interesting because um, Ethereum as well is that it was like a technology and a system that was made to take out intermediaries. And, you know, if you're just thinking about like all the things you do to sort of manage trust, there's actually a lot of steps and a lot of waste that happens. Um you know, if you think about like you go to the library or something, you need to use a bathroom, you you have to like ask somebody to like watch your stuff or you pack it up. You can't just walk away from it <laughs> and expect it to be there, right? But they're like valuable assets. Uh, the idea that like essentially they made a system that like you could literally leave your assets out in the open and nobody could touch it but you if you own the private key. Um, yeah, there were just like so many, um, you think about just like this like fundamental thing and you could apply this area of like, trust to every single aspect and also in like places of business where like there is no trust say where things aren't as developed like it's pretty transformative and just that that idea alone not a lot like not everything else too that like would come after it like with say nfts and stuff that was uh like really groundbreaking for me right interesting mm. awesome um i have a lot of thoughts on this especially from you know um uh, the government side of things and now mm. what kind of governments are trying to do uh, in this space and trying to like really regulate it now. Mm. Um, I guess my question to you is, uh, if governments do end up coming in and regulating the space, then um, the fundamental nature of removing the middleman kind of like goes away. What are your thoughts on this? Um, could, you, could you rephrase the question or like can you say it again? Right, sure. So what I'm trying to say is, if governments end up regulating their own digital cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, um, wouldn't they end up controlling it and being the intermediary between us and the medium itself? So the idea of it being um, essentially uh, decentral kind of takes a toll there. This is just kind of a thought that I have. Okay. Yeah, I just want to know how, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Let me, um, maybe I can like um, give you an answer then we can kind of like riff on it. So like I'm, I'm seeing like two things. Um, like one, there's this this feature that like is being moved towards where uh, governments themselves are like issuing their own digital uh, like centralized currencies that they do control. So it's like sort of, they're sort of like re- re-rolling out like say like the US dollar, but now this is not a blockchain, but a blockchain that they control. And they can sort of like censor your accounts. They can they can do these things. So that, right. that's like one world, um, which I think is more along the lines of what you described. And then there's this world of um, say like Bitcoin, Ethereum, these decentralized technologies, right. the the private cryptocurrencies. Yeah, right. yeah. And I think those 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 like are being regulated, and I mean they'll continue to be regulated. And I think like we even saw things in um, like a couple of weeks ago, uh, the uh, like the CEOs of uh, the Kraken Exchange, I think as well as Coinbase. They even said like, yeah, if the government tells us to like seize your assets, like we have to. So like you should take your stuff off our exchange if mm-hmm. you're worried about that. Um, so like there's always going to be like some centralized risk there if you are like controlling your assets on like a um, like a third party, like say Coinbase or an exchange. But if they're in your wallet itself, like there's not really much that can be done. Like they can sort of like 
there's always like some way like if they were to like torture you i guess they could like probably get you to like <laughs> you probably get you to like you know execute your transactions but there are like a lot of security measures where like realistically like they like the the custodial uh nature of the the assets are like fully in your control right yeah uh so brandon like moving a little bit forward like you said in terms of what web3 is like there are multiple domains right uh, as mm-hmm. you said there's like nfts there's defi there's like you know the infrastructure part of it like when you entered into uh, you know crypto slash web3 what interested you the most yeah so i what interested me the most back then and this was like prior to any of these other use cases really like showing promise or like really catching mm-hmm. um so like I, I was coming at it from purely like that process standpoint of like taking out like it wasn't even about like I think there's a lot of stuff around like um like going bankless like in in the community and like being like um you know like self-sovereign money and stuff so that those things weren't top of mind for me back then I was really just like this is like very efficient way to do things as a process so I was really into like supply chain um applications okay. within enterprise mm-hmm. um it seemed to me like that was the most obvious way for this tech to be um, adopted and like ibm was actually doing things um in this space like formally like publicly though it would it would come out over the years that like i think they disbanded that and like that actually there are a lot of other problems with like making that kind of a transition in that like legacy industry Mm -hmm. um but yeah like those enterprise use cases were like the most interesting to me back then oh and then like how has it changed now like like say like four or five years forward (laughs) yeah yeah so like i think too like a a thing to keep in mind is like maybe like the most important aspect of web3 to um not like realize but like so chris dixon has a great um thing about how like web1 was like read web2 was read write uh web3 is really read write own where like Mm -hmm. the data is being owned by you it's not owned in a centralized server it's like out on the blockchain and like a public space, not controlled by anybody. Um, this is sort of like the way like data should be. If you were to imagine like architectural world where um, there was some like ledger keeping track of everyone's stuff, like you wouldn't want it to be controlled by anybody. Um, so the things that are most interesting to me now are NFTs mm-hmm. um, because I think NFTs are able to sort of like capture a culture and um, can create like very interesting ways of, um, I liken it sort of like social media how it was and that like social media was eventually deployed by brands to create like really engaging experiences and connect with their fans. Um, a selfie itself is not very valuable, but it can be deployed in a very tactful way. I think NFTs are sort of the same way. Like the NFT itself is not really like anything crazy. It's just like a token that connects to oftentimes just a JPEG. <laughs> but right. when you use those touch points to create like a very meaningful experience, it like really elevates uh, the the type of experience you can create for um, like a consumer. Right. I think like my friend and I, like Lou and me here, we were actually discussing about NFTs and, you know, he was asking me like, how do NFTs like, like say maybe in like, not in the short term, but maybe in the long term, how do they create value? So can you talk, talk us through like, like what does NFT essentially mean? As you said, it's a token, but like, Mm. how does it provide value to anyone who buys it? And what what are the, like the various applications? Yeah. And that's a great question. Um, yeah, the way I would maybe start to think of this is like, if you think about like how a computer, like when computers first came out to the market, it's like, what does this thing actually do? This thing kind of sucks. It's very slow. It doesn't really do that anything that I can't do. Like I can use, I could just use paper and do like a calculation. Right. Um, I went to school, uh, but like what these would eventually turn into, I mean, like, so it created like a design canvas for applications that could then do a lot of different crazy things over time that just continued to like add utility. Like you throw GPS on top of it. Now you have Uber. Um, but like to go from that initial computer to that is, is such a huge gap. Um, you can sort of think of the same thing with like NFTs and that like it's a design space for like future applications. And it's a design space that is like all on like very similar standards. So say like on Ethereum, there's the ERC 721 standard. Um, because this is all public data, applications built on top of it can then plug into all this data and they don't need to like recreate it. So like you can sort of like create applications in a way that um, it's very different now because users can just immediately pivot all their data into your application and you don't have like a cold start problem uh, like you would before. Say like you want to make a new Spotify. You don't need to make all the deals. Uh, You can simply have people pull their music NFTs into your platform and now you have like a whole new ecosystem. Um, Okay. 
something also that I like to point out is like, if you think about like any object that you have in your life, a lot of the times, so like I have all this stuff in my apartment that, you know, maybe I would want to have brought out with me somewhere, but it's just, it's infeasible because objects, <laughs> objects are physical. I can't like have everything with me in like a backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, you could think of NFTs almost as like an infinite backpack of all your stuff. And when you go to like these different, like say like metaverse experiences, you can bring all these assets with you permanently in your wallet and like plug them into different things. So like, maybe I have like, um, like an MVP trophy from like high school that like, is just meaningful to me. I like it, but like, I would never keep it in my apartment because it's just like wasted space. If it's an NFT, I can like hang it up in my, like my virtual room or something. And like, I always have access to all these things I've collected over my like lifetime, which I think is a super interesting, uh, mechanic right and the blockchain like legalizes it because you know it'll be signed by someone or like issued by someone yeah yeah it's like it's it's permanent it's public um yeah like something that i think is super interesting is like i think like nfts in the luxury space have been super successful or like you know like board ape is essentially kind of like a supreme of web3 um a lot of the time it's like you want people to see these things that you have to like kind of express yourself this is like the most public and like verifiable <laughs> way to show which is like not for everybody but it's like for this use case it, it actually is like perfect right yeah. do i i know we had a lot of uh, discussion about nfts so i know you had a lot of questions go ahead on nfts right i actually okay let me be very frank with you guys okay i'm a, i'm a, i'm a very i'm very spectacle uh, skeptical about this uh, mm-hmm. entire you know the virtual world the nfts and blockchain and all i i know i understand blockchain is very secure and i mm. see a lot of utility in that mm. but i i'm still very skeptical about you know how like i think one very good point that you kind of brought up is uh, how uh, you can you can have a trophy of your mvp back in school in in that you know in this space where you know people can just come and have a look at it but my question i think is um do you really think that the virtual space is going to like uh engulf the physical space i mean mm. in terms of you know these kind of trophies and just just the way people are like uh leading their lives in the real world and this is something that i i just can't wrap my head around so yeah, yeah your thoughts on that no no it's a great question um so i would say like two things i mean like one like i totally agree with you i mean like i already hate how much time i spend on like used to spend on just Instagram, but now I, because of web three, I've gone into Twitter and discord and I'm just like, I don't have enough time to spend in these digital spaces. Like I barely spend enough time in real life. Um, I think like one is like, I think like Gen Z is probably a lot more digitally native than us. And that like, um, the people, like the next generation right. growing up True. is like, that's just how they live. <laughs> like, I think for us, True. it's like us spending time on the social media that we did. It's probably like unrelatable to our parents. Uh, so it, it's just continuing to happen. Um, I think another point that is important to keep in mind is that like we're sort of already living in these digital spaces. So like I don't know what kind of social media you use or what websites you use you go on. Um, one of our investors he said um, something very like poignant about like metaverses. Like the metaverse isn't like it's not like these things. It's not like a virtual world. It's really just like a time and place where like you view your digital assets on the same uh, kind of like playing field as your physical assets, which I think makes more sense. And that like, say I want to put a picture up of like that trophy you mentioned, like rather than just put on like a JPEG, like a picture of it and like just trust that people like, you know, like, oh, this is actually mine. It's real. I didn't just Photoshop this. It's like, no, I actually have like the real thing that was given to me when I was 18 um, and people can actually see it. And like, that, like it means something because like that's, you don't have to like, there's like something like very like sentimental about that, that I think is like very powerful right. and like tapped into a very like human need. I think um, an extension question, I think the, f- okay, maybe this is the same question, but mm-hmm. I'd probably just rephrase it again. Yeah. So where I'm getting as getting at is that the virtual space, uh, the way it works is temporary. I mean, what I'm trying to say is if the servers are down, it's, it's over. Like mm. uh, if, if you think about it, and then if I have this water bottle, it's a tangible thing that I possess in my hand mm. uh, it's not the same with the virtual world um that's one thought that i had mm. um 
the the second thought is uh, do you think it's sustainable with all the environment concerns that are there uh, with you know just minting a, a bitcoin or you know all of the servers and the infrastructure that is required yeah no both great questions um so i think like the first point you know it's actually funny so i've thought i thought about the same thing i've actually come to flip on this and that like I would argue okay. that like oh. an NFT is actually more permanent than say like that water bottle. I, I bet you in a year, you will never see that water bottle again. Like it'll probably be gone. It might be in a trash heap somewhere, but like any NFT you collect will like forever be with you in your wallet. So <laughs> there's like, that's like a more permanent way to sort of like keep track of belongings. Um, no, to your point though, I think like these virtual worlds will probably come and go like, but that's like, that's the beauty of like the way that this data is stored is that it's not stored within any of those particular worlds. It's all stored somewhere else um, on the public blockchain. So like this world goes away, another one comes up, these assets can just plug okay. in here. Now there are, there are a lot of like further issues of like, okay, like you need to like agree on like rendering standards and all those things, but like those things will sort of get worked out over time. But like the, the ledger, you know, showing that this asset has existed since, you know, its creation will always be there. Um, the environmental thing, I think, is was a bigger issue in the past. I think now, especially with like the plans and like the roadmaps moving forward, I don't think it's that much of an issue. Um, so, like a few things, um, a lot of like these NFTs are moving to uh, the, the the blockchain platforms are moving towards like a proof of stake solution, which cuts down like ninety nine point like I don't know the exact percentage, but it's incredibly. Uh, more efficient because you're not using the proof of work systems that we're used to with Bitcoin, where you're using a lot of computing power and creating a lot of waste. Now, I would argue though, even in today's implementation, where like we have to do that until we move to the system that takes out that proof of work, um, there's no incremental cost of these NFTs. Essentially, like Ethereum runs at a set transaction speed and it's been over capacity for years. Um, if NFTs aren't running, um, there are other transactions that are filling up that space. So like us minting NFTs doesn't like actually reduce environmental impact. It's just sort of things that are already like happening. Um, so like in my mind, it's just not really like, hmm. uh, yeah, it's like, it's not as big of a, an issue. Um, and I think it'll go away over time. Uh, Brandon, you spoke okay. about like one term proof of work versus proof of stake. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, most of the, you know, Web3 noobs might not understand it. Like <laughs> me being a part of it, like in yeah. short, could you explain a bit about what is the difference and like, how does it impact the environmental concerns, as you said? Yeah. So this is like a really interesting um, part of this system where like the security of Bitcoin comes from, uh, you know, both like cryptographic security, but also economic game theory in that, um, the way Bitcoin is made is like you have a bunch of computers directed towards this network and people compete uh, to like solve a puzzle, essentially, that is like very difficult to solve. And if your computer is able to solve it, then you're able to make the next Bitcoin. And like this, um, the only way that you could ever solve this puzzle is if you've committed a lot of resources towards this computer, which is sort of like the proof of work. Like you've proven that you've invested a lot of money into the network. So we're going to trust you to create the next block and you're paid in Bitcoin. Now because Bitcoin has you know, risen in value, a lot of people have put a lot of competing resources to get that Bitcoin, which creates a lot of like waste. Um, proof of stake is a different model where it's like, okay, like depending on like your percentage stake of the network, so say you have 10% of the Bitcoin, you can then lock that up and then use a much weaker computer and simply are just every 10% of the Bitcoin that's mined is just given to you. And like you're... Um, so like proof of stake, it's sort of like you put up your money at stake and then that's sort of like the same kind of like investment proven uh, to like give you, uh, to like give that person trust to like keep making blocks for the network. That wasn't the best explanation, but hopefully that clears things up. Got it. Yeah. Oh, one more topic that I want to touch upon with respect to NFTs is the community aspect. Like, you know, recently there's been a whole uh, deal with, you know, uh, with uh, like any web three, there should be a community aspect. And a lot of companies are also like, I saw recently that uh, Pendo bought a community, it acquired a community rather than buying another company. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of emphasis on community aspects. So like, like why is this, why is the shift happening where, uh, what, uh, people are uh, going towards community aspects. And this also relates to DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. So, you know, could, us talk, uh, could you talk us through it and like, 
what 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 is the impact of this? Yeah, so I'll like try to answer part of the question, then hopefully we can just kind of riff on it. So like yeah. I think community is coming up a lot more because of the way these technologies work. So something like um it's interesting because like community is sort of a thing in say these social media networks because they're there's sort of a network effect where like when people you need a certain critical mass of people to create a network that is like engaging and like has activity and like, okay. So like in that sense, there's a community, but the issue, the thing here is that it's a bit of an extractive relationship and that you need to get a lot of people create like a cool experience, but ultimately you, you want to take money from them. Like that's what Facebook and Instagram is doing from us. They're creating the community. They're taking it from us. Now web three is a bit different in that like everybody is given token ownership of say like a protocol, like that token is built into like, you need to use the token in some way in order to interact with the protocol. And I think in like 2017, back in the early days, it was sort of seen as like a cop-out way of like raising money. Like, oh, like, you know, like you don't actually need this token. You can just use like Ethereum, the underlying network token. You don't need to make your own. Now, the thing that like, I think was kind of lost on us back then is that having ownership in these tokens um, it increases kind of like your skin in the game. It turns you from, if you've heard of like the principal agent problem in game theory, it makes everybody have ownership and stake in the network and it aligns the financial incentives. So now like the people that are you know, holding this coin, they want this network to win because they're going to win if they help this network grow. Um, right. So in that, in that sense, like you're actually all sort of bonded together with the, by this like singular mission of making something work, almost like you're sort of like a member of a startup uh, by simply buying the token. Um, so like, say like with NFTs in particular, where there's like a finite number of people that can own them, um, this is like, you know, hugely more so where like the community really matters and the people that own the tokens are um, essentially like a stakeholder that needs to be managed and like considered in decision making. Right. So given that, I mean, uh, you thought you did call on Facebook and Twitter and uh, kind of like what they have done to our the way we kind of uh, mobilize ourselves in networks. Mm. Um, given that Web3 is such a big opportunity and we see uh, we are seeing that a lot of people are leaving these big firms and like trying to set up their own startups and get into Web3. Mm. What do you think is the reaction from these Web2 big tech giants? Yeah, so I mean, like they're definitely like moving in um, like Twitter. They well, so like Jack Dorsey was sort of like a Bitcoin bull, and like when he, when he mm-hmm. left, um, I actually had spoken with um, like very briefly with the the person leading the crypto team at Twitter, and like they're taking a much more like Ethereum centric approach. Like they recently rolled out like Twitter verification of NFTs. Um, they're not like so like they're they're doing things in like very small ways. The thing is, is like it gets very difficult to sort of like fully roll out Web three things, say like with tokens. Um, for these big companies because it just it doesn't really align with their business models so like this particular thing mm-hmm. was like a feature they could just add on top where it's like okay if you own this token we can just verify it and we'll just attach it to your twitter profile i think there's going to be a lot of stuff like that where you're just like adding on these small things um you additionally see like big brands launching nfts as more of a disposable collectible this is um something that's sort of like say like nba top shot or recur forever is doing where like they're just sort of giving you like the sports NFT, but like, right. there's not really like a lot you can do with it. It's just like, you just have it. And it's sort of like, you just got an action figure and it sits in your room and doesn't really do mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> but like, yeah, like you just right. like, you think it's cool. Um, I think those are sort of more of the plays that like the bigger companies are going to do because it doesn't require a lot of like, um, it's not very like high touch. You don't really need to do a lot to like continue the relationship. It's just like you, you throw the, the token out and then that's it. It, it, just one more thing. You you touched upon their business model. Uh, what is the kind of shift that we are looking at in thought process when it comes to Web three kind of business models? Yeah, so it it's I would say like the biggest thing is like if you were to imagine say like Board Ape Yacht Club. So like their business model is like to date has been like okay we're going to mint out these NFTs. So there's like ten thousand board apes now. So they made out like three million dollars off of that initial sale, or maybe it was like a million, two million. I don't remember the exact price. Um, now on the back of that, all of their holders, they you know were trading these NFTs, and they made one hundred twenty-five million off of royalty sales through the smart contracts. Hmm. All the while, everyone within their community is making a lot of money selling these NFTs. So like their community profited significantly. They profited off the back of that, but like a lot of the value actually went to their community. They weren't like, so like Instagram, like I didn't, I haven't made no money from social networks. 
I see. But like Yuga okay. Labs is incentivized yeah. to like make everybody money uh, because it, it comes back to them. This is super interesting. I think yeah. uh, if you look at it from the consumer point of view, Web 2 is something that you got for free, but Web 3 is something where you can make money as well. Uh, yeah, that's like, it's like um, Web 3 is like you're rewarded for being early and for being right. Um, <laughs> Web 2, it's like it's free, but you're really <laughs> paying for it. <laughs> You mentioned one special, uh, like special thing where you said that, you know, all the community members gained from it. Right. So mm -hmm. like say here, the BAYC made like 125 mil out of this, like how are they making this money? Like that's always one thing that's back of everyone's mind is like, okay, they're trading JPEGs or, you know, they're using JPEGs to make money. Like how is this working? <laughs> yeah. It, it's an interesting thing. I mean, so like Port, Board Ape Yacht Club is, I, I think, sort of like an outlier in that like they were able to become like just because they were there in the right moment. They were innovators. They were the first ones to do this. Um, you know, so like they really benefited off of like, oh, this is like a cool new way to do things. And they turned into, yeah, like I, I said earlier, sort of the supreme of Web3. It's like just having one is cool. Um, and like, so like you know, the utility they need to provide is a little less now because like there's just such a signaling component to having these things. If right. another project were to try to do this, they have to do something different. They can't just be like, oh, it's cool to have it because it's not cool to have <laughs> some like random token. Um, they are now like expanding into like building out a metaverse and like starting to like build software and stuff. But I mean, that's that'll be like down the road. You know, software takes a long time. Um, so like the, the, the different NFTs are like a bit different, but like Board API Club uh, is a bit of an outlier, I think. Right. So like from like, uh, what I see, my understanding is that right now it's more of like branding slash like it's a collectible item uh, that you can showcase to the world. And like in the long term, based on what the community does, uh, you might have like other opportunities in that community. Yeah, that's what I, that's why I find NFTs so interesting is because there's so many different ways they can be applied. So like in like the luxury brand space, you're really leaning into the the finite nature of these NFTs and creating exclusivity. Right. Um, for gaming, it's more about like, okay, these are permanent assets that players own and they, um, uh, they can, um, just have like, um, like, like the game experience is more grounded because these things really exist now and they can be sold on an open market. That's like a different application of NFTs. Um, there's additionally, uh, what else? Um, yeah, I think like NFTs just in general are sort of like a way to um they can also be kind of a way to sort of like almost like access like the the value of your future vision ahead of actually achieving it so like say in like a more traditional company you need to really show a lot of like revenue you need to show like all uh, a lot of progress in order to get funding for your project mm -hmm. web3 is sort of interesting because it is there's a financial aspect attached to it and because everything is tokenized very early and like i said earlier you're early, you're uh, rewarded for being early and right people can sort of buy into something before it ever fully is built out. And mm -hmm. that kind of like grants these projects that are, you know, legitimate a way to sort of like access some value before they're able to really get it. If it like, you know, and that's another way to sort of bootstrap a project. Right. It's also a way to scam a lot of people. So it's, it's, you know, sort of a double-edged <laughs> sword. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So like moving to another topic, one uh, important question I've always thought about is like, when I was reading the Bitcoin white paper, it, sp uh, it spoke about like the double spending problem and how there are like third party intermediaries between say like uh, when you want to transact uh, money from one person to another. And that's why like, you know, blockchain is very uh, useful. But like uh, my main question is what is the reaction of say banks and like centralized institutions uh, for a decentralized thing? Like what is their stance and how are they trying to, uh, you know, get into the space or or go against the space yeah so it's a good question <laughs> i can answer it like partly so like mm -hmm. I, I would say this isn't like super my area of expertise but like what i've seen i think initially there was a lot of pushback and like a lot of skepticism i think like um like jp morgan has gone back and forth on this i think like jamie diamond has even said like oh bitcoin's a scam and now like oh like we're offering bitcoin <laughs> so it's like uh, you know, first you you hate on them, then you join them. Uh, I think a lot of these banks are going to start um, offering, you know, like crypto on the back end as it makes sense. I think like even Goldman Sachs and on their one in the front page now, they actually have this whole expose on digital assets and their move into it. 
um, through like a Galaxy Digital. Um, yeah, I think where it makes sense, a lot of these banks are going to be incorporating these like uh, like yield generating uh, protocols because it's simply cheaper than doing it themselves. Um, and it's also just like a hot new product offering. They can just take some off the top. Um, it's like, you know, very inexpensive for them to do it. They get this yield, they just give it to their customers. And it's sort of the same thing. It's like oh, a lot of people are never going to use these protocols themselves because it's just complicated. Um, and like the UX isn't there yet, right. but they'll just go through the banks. And I think that's how they'll engage with it. You're very interesting. Can you tell us about Fast Break Labs? What do you do there? Uh, what's it all about? Yeah, so we are a um, NFT gaming startup. Uh, we have a pretty strong set of investors. We have like uh, like Pantera Capital, Patron Ventures, and um, a couple of different like NBA team owners. We're essentially trying to build like an NBA, not NBA, sorry, a basketball uh, uh, manager experience like in the metaverse. So like sort of like that same experience you have um, with uh, say like fantasy. Uh, we want to try to create that with NFTs and that like you, you buy these NFTs, you have like these players and you compete against other teams uh, in like these simulated mm -hmm. matches, sort of like the same experience, like watching like a fantasy game play out, but these are like your players and you can like, uh, you know, experiment, configure your team and uh, win real rewards. Wow. Okay. Very, <laughs> very interesting. Like what, like, like what is the main differentiator from like say a normal fantasy game right now? Like with, with respect to what, uh, you know, your company is doing. Yeah. So I, th I think that the differentiator here is really like, like the ownership aspect and that these are your, so all these players that were, you, you say like right now, like we, uh, on was it Wednesday, on Wednesday, we had our initial mint. Mm -hmm. So you, you buy a player pack, you get seven player NFTs from that. And these are your players. They're like unique. Um, each one is different. So like there will never be another player like your player. Right. Um, so there's the sort of that aspect of like, this is like your team. Okay. Um, we're sort of, we're sort of trying to tap into that ownership experience that people, uh, you know, kind of wanted like growing up, you know, it's no one will really ever be an NBA team owner. Mm -hmm. Um, but being able to like call the shots, have complete control over like the trades, um, who you line up, um, and also be able to sort of like, you know, say you win games and like your players increase in value. You can sort of like, you can actually like make money off that. I think that's like sort of a very compelling experience that we're trying to tap into. Right. Can you can you improve the player's skills? And I mean, I'm just talking about how I play PS4 games. <laughs> you know, you can you can like add in some value addition to the player. Can is it is that even a thing? Yeah, yeah. So that's something that's like on our roadmap. Um, so initially, the players will have uh, different stats, different like preferred positions, and uh, we'll like be simulating games in our game engine. Um, down the line, we really want to add in sort of like you know play calls, um, player progression. So like you know players actually do get better over time and regress and eventually retire. Oh, we want to have okay. these things so it's like the league is more dynamic and like you can't just have a superstar team and then just like always be winning. Like you need to be continually kind of like pulling different levers to find the the right team. Right. You spoke about minting, which is like really interesting. Like, what does like NFT minting mean, and like what goes on in the back end? of NFT minting. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's an interesting thing. So can, can you, can you, can you even answer that? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm trying to think of how to answer that in this uh, short format. I mean, like uh, the way to, so like the way I would think about this is like, there is a, uh, so like before there's like nothing when you like, when you deploy a smart contract. So like for the example, so like our, our, our project's called VBA. There's now going to be a VBA smart contract um, existing on Solana. And then as you um, mint these NFTs, you're calling a function which um, connects a wallet address with um, like an integer ID. And like it and this keeps track of everybody who owns a token within this particular collection. Um, okay. Now these tokens are connected to the like the asset. So like ours is like a player pack. It's like this GIF of um uh, like the, like the, the trading card pack, right. uh, but really it's just a ledger that is, that just tracks ownership. Wow. Okay. That was really hard to understand. I mean, did, Sid, did, you, did you get that? That was really hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, was, I was lost. I was lost when you started like, you know, saying all the ledger stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was like, but nice. That's, that's, some um, that's some tough space, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, see, one of the biggest issues I kind of have I think that's what makes a lot of people skeptical about this yeah. is the fact that we are not quite there yet in terms of public knowledge uh, in, in blockchain. 
I mean, it still yeah. takes a lot of time for people to kind of really wrap their heads heads around it because it's not the same uh, when it comes to the stock market. And we're not really sure why cryptocurrency kind of like booms up one day and then like really falls down the other day. We have no idea w- what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are, what are like your thoughts on that? Do you uh, where do you see this technology head, and where do you see the maturity hit the people? Yeah, no. So you touched on like two um, like two really valid points. Like one, it's like very like difficult to understand. Also, like the price volatility is like why is this so volatile? Um, and then and second, it's like yeah, like when is this actually going to work for like the average person? Um, the way I would address this is like you know one, I think like. The, the price volatility of crypto is impacted like one by just nobody really knows like the full extent of how useful this tech is going to be. We just like there's like a grand vision and like there's a key functionality that it enables where it's like, OK, like if this thing does hit, it's going to be worth a lot and it's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that already kind of gives, um, you know, when you think about like placing your bets prior, because like once it's there, you know, like the money's not like <laughs> there's no money can be made. Like, yeah, because like everyone wants to get it's in before. A, it's a big risk. It's it's a big risk, like a lot of ifs. Yeah. 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 So things change. Also, like it trades um globally 24-7, like mm-hmm. in a decentralized way. So that there's just like no, it's like so fluid. Now, the second part, um, I think what you're seeing like today when like a lot of like big brands are moving into this space is that they spend a lot of money and development time on the infrastructure to sort of abstract away the decentralized nature of this tech. Um which is like kind of a good and a bad thing. Cause I think a lot of like the maximalists in the space really want decentralization where that like, you don't trust anybody. You literally just control the assets. That's not really realistic for most people. Cause like, that also means if you lose it, you are completely screwed. <laughs> there's nothing to be done. Uh, so like some of the, so like there's this company recur forever or say NBA top shot, like you buy the NFT and it just sits in their wallet on their website. Um, you don't need to control anything. It's just like, it's just as though you, you know, bought something uh, and any other website, you don't even know if it's like an NFT or not, but like the differentiators that you can pull it out if you wanted to, and then take control of it. I think a lot of these, uh, these solutions that like control, pe- control it for people, but give people the option is really going to be the path moving forward. And then like maybe education mm-hmm. will continue. So like more people get decentralized and can take control of it. But I don't really see it being realistic. I I think one very big point that you kind of like really touched upon is how you just cannot recover it again. If you forget that 12 word, whatever password reset thing, because I kind of, uh, uh, signed up to one crypto kind of exchange thing where it asked me to remember some 12 different words asked me to write it down somewhere I did. And then I lost the paper. I don't know where the, uh, the entire thing is. So, I mean, well, thankfully I didn't really invest anything, but yeah. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is um, that not a lot of people, uh, people want fail safes. I think that's the, I think that's what you kind of like very uh, prudently touched upon the fact that people not everyone's okay with, you know, uh, handling everything themselves. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a very interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what's important. And I think what like the biggest takeaway from this tech and this development is that like most people are going to want like the fail safe. They're not, they're not thinking about safety, but like you should have the choice. Um, you know, like mm. in, in the case of like, you know, like you're, so like say uh, you want to send money. So like through your Chase bank account and like something weird happens. I don't know, like maybe you did it from like a different phone and you were connected to a VPN and then they just freeze like half your money for like a week. And you're like, is this really my money? <laughs> like, and it's for safety, <laughs> but like, it, you know, when this things happen, it start, you start to realize like how much control you don't have and how much you're trusting things. It's like being able to like take control like when it matters is super important. And I think that's like the, as long as we can like keep that, but like make a good experience for everybody else. I think that's fine. That's really so, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Sid. One yeah, last ahead, one. One last one and then, yeah. then, then we'll go with you. Um, so uh, you spoke about the problems that Web 2 people have that Web 3 people do not have. But what are the problems that you guys face that these guys don't face right now? I mean, uh, take your work, for example, and what do you kind of have to like overcome? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It's really interesting. I think and this is something that like I've my, my thoughts on this have sort of evolved as I've you know gone from just sort of like an enthusiast to like, okay, how are we going to implement this? Um, so product development works very differently in this space because any so if you do anything that involves a token, once you deploy, it's like out there forever. Like there's no rolling it back. So like say like Facebook, they can kind of A-B test different iterations of a product. And the one that like works well, all right, we're just gonna roll it out to everybody. And if it 
breaks, they'll roll it back. With tokens, it's like once you're out there, you can never undo it. Um, and because there's financial stake in these tokens now, and there's like value kind of freely accrues to them. Um, yeah, it's like if you make a change that like impacts different, say like you launch more NFTs to like onboard more users because you're getting a lot of feedback that like a lot of people want in on your product. Well, that means that like, you know, the 500 people that had the tokens that everyone else wanted, now there's a thousand. So now there's like twice the supply. Demand is constant. Everybody's mm -hmm. token goes down. Now you lost all these people money. <laughs> so like there's right, like, right. and like that's that's not, you know, when like say like if Bored were to do that, people would literally lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. So like these things need to be like handled very carefully. There's all these touch points in the way um, the value flows. You just need to be like very careful, uh, like thinking about and deploying product features and like community management. So it's like every decision you make, you need to think about the users and like how it's going to impact them, like at every step of the stage. I mean, it's it's not just that. I think Sid, it's like uh, you know, it's because I think even Facebook can all do that. I mean, they they do still think, but I think the the fact of the matter is there's an extra layer of you know. Uh, having to go beyond what the normal kind of thinking is, I guess. Because yeah. there's a financial aspect connected to it. Right. Yeah, because yeah. There's, there's a native financial aspect in that like value freely, like free, value doesn't accrue to my Facebook account. <laughs> right. But value does accrue to like the tokens I have because mm -hmm. yeah, they're, they're tradable. Yeah. Right. And I think it's super important because uh, for any company to be like uh, legitimized by the public, there needs to be some amount of trust that develops. And I mean, uh, given given the natively it is like you know it has a token involved uh yeah 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 so like a lot of um I've, and this sort of gets back to community because because you have these stakeholders mm -hmm. that are so invested is like you actually need to like if you were to do something that goes against the community they can just sell everything like they're like you know screw this i'm i don't want to like take this hit uh, and then you, everything then like your token goes down and then like the perception is like oh this company doesn't care about their people and like um, also this, this code is all open source for the most part online. So like mm -hmm. someone can just like, okay, I'll just copy your code. We're going to do things right. Everyone just like one. shifts over here and now, yeah, you're, you're done. <laughs> right. I think, uh, Lou like made a good point about like web three education. Uh, so like, I want to ask this in a individualistic, uh, basis, like, so for people who are interested about web three, but like the topic is so complicated. You spoke about minting and it took so much time for us to process it. So like, like, how do you suggest like, you know, for people to understand web three and say like, eventually take up a career in web three, like, uh, like what do you suggest them to do? Yeah. So, well, okay. So I also want to like make a point. Like, I do think that like, so like, while my explanation of that minting was mm -hmm. kind of insane, I think if you were to like, say have the process of like i don't know like how does a dvd get made or how does like anything get made right. if i were to break that down I, like i don't know how this sh this jacket was made <laughs> right <laughs> right at the end of the day it's like you, if you click the mint button you get an nft picture True. in your wallet so like right. that whole experience is a bit abstracted still True. um now as far as like learning I, I think like you know like a lot of these like exchanges have like good resources i mean like youtube like you can find everything on youtube but the way i would start to do things is like start to like practice things. I would like buy some cryptocurrency on say Coinbase on Gemini. Um, I would suggest using, um, you know, like a cheaper, so like you can think of like, say like Bitcoin is just like internet money. And then there's Ethereum and like the other smart contract networks that actually do like programming on top of the assets. And that's where all these applications are coming from. I would just buy some of this and then just start to play around with it and just kind of see how things work. Um, you know, very low stakes. Don't put too much, maybe like five bucks and just start like playing around. I wouldn't use Ethereum because it's very congested and like their gas fees, there cost a lot of money to like do any transaction. So I would start with maybe like Polygon or Solana, Avalanche, these like other chains that um, have much smaller fees. But then once you like start to play around with it, you can kind of get a sense of what's working and like, okay, this is confusing. I'll read into this and just start to like connect the dots as you go. Hmm. And what about the career aspect in terms of like, say right now, like you were a senior PM at Amazon and then you transitioned mm -hmm. to a Web3 PM, like what are the kind of skill sets like are Web3 companies looking at like when they're trying to hire folks? Yeah. So I think like, you know, all the skills in Web2, like they carry, they do carry over to Web3. Um, I think things that are like 
you could just simply like make the switch without having to really learn much about technology or like you know the web three tech is like if you're like say a designer um you know general like marketing general business ops um all these things like there there's functions that are sort of required but like certain things like require more understanding of the culture and the technology like even say a community manager mm-hmm. i was about to say community manager but actually you need to really understand how these like communities work within this tech you don't need to like know how the tech works per se but you need to know how like the people within this like bubble function um yeah i think like either or like you need to have an understanding of the space mm-hmm. i think you either like come in without like very strong web2 skills um and like general understanding of the space and you can make that move or you come in with a lot of understanding here and then some inkling that you can develop these skills here uh that's sort of like my two way of kind of breaking into web3 uh, which which one were you i think i was uh honestly more of the right side where like i was very much enmeshed but i also had the benefit of coming from amazon so that it it worked out mm-hmm. well for me yeah that's amazing I think we have like a few more minutes before like we end this conversation. So, Liu, do you have any final questions for Brandon or any thoughts? Uh well, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. That's a problem. <laughs> but I think I think I'll stop here. I think I'll stop here. We can probably uh, continue in some other podcast right. again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brandon, do you have any final thoughts? Uh No, I mean I'm yeah, just had a lot of fun with you guys. I think like what you guys are doing is cool and like honestly like I kind of want to start a new podcast too. Uh right. <laughs> especially with this mic, so yeah, no, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much Brandon. This has been like a really fun conversation. Right. Yes, thank you so much Brandon. Yeah. Uh all right then we can we can close. I'm Lou and I'm Sid and we are Lucy.